So, so actually, I'm I'm gonna start the recording there because I think this is good. Oregon Trail is a really great place to start because. Oregon Trail is a great so, place. So, hi, this is not our normal uh, podcast matching missile crew, but today we've got Dana, James, Patrick, who is just some dude. <laughs> Patrick is Joanna's husband. You you might know him from such uh, hits as you know the Souls of Steel campaign that we, we hope, just played. We hope finding out Joanna is married doesn't break any hearts. Oh, what? I'm in here. Laura. <laughs> Laura's here, and so is Blake. It's me, Blake! And Thought so you were rid of me! We just watched a really terrible but awesome movie, which was... It really um, didn't have anything to do with what we're about to talk about. No, it didn't, but... War of the Worlds, Goliath! Yeah, so basically, mecha diesel punk using historical figures from the 19-teens... Hey, let's to- not... Using the names of historical figures. You know what? We can save that for Blake spoils everything. He can spoil. I've already forgotten too much of what happened. (laughs) It's it's terrible, but it's one of those movies that's kind of so bad it's good. It's also animated. I like it better considering it as a historical report from Calvin of Calvin and Hobbes. Warning to the wise: uh, if you're looking at it on Netflix, you might pick it based on the. on the advertising of Teddy Roosevelt, Manfred, Manfred von Richthofen, and uh, Nikolai Tesla fight Martians. There is very little Tesla. There is He may be on screen for a total of 30 seconds. Which is I don't think it was that long. Yeah, I don't think it was that long either. We get a lot of Baron Richthofen and a good amount of Teddy Roosevelt, who is like the Hulk. He is just as horizontal as can be. I found Baron Richthofen, like, really likable. He was pretty cool, yeah. I mean... To be honest with you, it's a movie that would that, that had the potential to be good if the animation was a little bit better, and if um, I don't think it's fair to ask about for better animation. Seven more hours. The faces, <laughs> the faces could be somewhere. Seven yeah. more hours to develop all the plot lines between the characters that they really wanted to develop because they really wanted to have deep characters and they really tried really hard. Oh, like when the like when the black guy uh, said, "My girls," and that was it. <laughs> Or, or randomly, Dimitri. <laughs> <laughs> randomly, guy we, we find out is actually the son of some other two. Yeah, you know what? Just if, as he's dying. So, if you are the one person out there whose special fetish is sudden catastrophic character development <laughs> cliffs, where it's like, "Hi there, I'm a stick figure. I'm gonna fire a machine gun for an hour and then get a like." Explosion of character development in five seconds and die. <laughs> then they have finally made your porn. Like the guy with the, the finger, his wife. Yeah, that finger. That was so good. <laughs> that guy was on screen. We think he might have been voiced by Adam Baldwin, and he was on screen for like a minute, maybe two. He showed up and was like, hey, I'm crazy. I'm the only guy that survived this firefight. I keep my wife's finger in a bag. Hey, I'm going to go suicide myself to distract this tripod. Bye. Wasn't a bag, necklace around his neck. <laughs> Anyway, which is a, dice a bag. wonderful way for us to start um, talking about Oregon Trail. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of dead family, Oregon Trail. So, we, so were you saying you don't know anybody who actually beat Oregon Trail legitimate as a child? Oh, I totally beat it legitimate as a kid. I, I was going to say I thought somebody in this group had. I did too. Well, I am willing to admit I did not because I was not resourceful enough. I, I was not able to put in my. I guess I was not able to put two and two together in, in terms of what the correct micromanagement was. I always died horribly, partly because I was horrible at it, 
Partly because I was a really weird kid and I liked having control over who lived and died. Yeah. Also, I enjoyed Oregon Trail more for the hunting of animals because that I was all the shooting part. stuff. That was the best The part. rest I found horribly boring. Oh, I remember yeah. bagging buffalo Actually, like a badass. Just you to, the plants, you were, you were all set up. Oh, yeah. And just to be clear here, we're talking original Oregon Trail, like Apple II e <laughs> style. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Art, but yeah. We had it in our classrooms at my own. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, most people did. Which allowed me to play it enough that I managed to beat it once or twice, but really only once or twice. I think that I never... I, I shouldn't take credit for beating it alone because I feel like me and my friend group, we, we sort of did like a group play where, you know, one person is on the keyboard but three people are sitting behind them like saying, do this, no, do this. And We had a designated like shooter for the hunting shooting gallery, which I want to say was me. I would say, though, back in those days, I was really good at that one math frog game where you had to like, you had the grid and you had to eat the right numbers. Nowadays, I can't even, like, like I find the, like, I find a version on the internet, can't play it. I'd be like, <laughs> fractions, what are those? It's not the one where, it's not the one where it gets, like, really bizarre that Yanni tried to show. No, that's frog fractions. That's a spoof on that. No. Yeah. No, there's one. Although frog fractions is really good, and if you haven't played frog fractions, you really should. But don't let anyone tell you anything about it. No, it, it's spoilerific. We won't, we won't Even seeing it. the box art is a spoiler. Okay, so we were talking about really hard games, and Patrick loves like Dark Souls and all the rest of that stuff. And what was the game we were talking about, like Battletoads? You have been unable to beat Battletoads. That's true. Yeah, even yeah. with an emulator, same no, skill base, same states. Can't do the clinger winger. Just my fingers, they they won't do it. I there are there are videos online of people doing it, and I I think it is technically possible. But I have never met anyone in person who has. I wonder, can you slow the emulator down? Can you slow the frame rate down? You know, that is the one thing I haven't tried yet. And I think you probably can if you pick the right one. Uh, but I haven't, I, I, I was just trying to do it with save states. Uh, but the problem with that particular level is it's a chase scene. And so even if you save state it, the, the problem is as soon as you load it, you're, you're, you're getting chased again. It's just kind of hard to, uh, to, to even save it in a state where uh, you're, you're going to be able to pick back up. Right, yeah. and there was a difference in difficulty. But I mean, we were talking about there's 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 games nowadays like the the really crazy Mario Brothers hacks or Super Meat Boy. They're designed to be or what is it? I want to be the guy. I want to be the guy who um, that are that are designed to be ridiculously hard. But like, I view these as a pushback from when games started off hard, like in the days when Battletoads was made. You know, in the in the, in the first generation or the second generation. Some you know they just made games hard because they thought that made games good. Then games they started to realize, huh? Our target audience are a bunch of comfort-seeking, soft-brained, self-gratifying uh, imbeciles. The easier we make our game, the more they'll consume it. So let's make games that are one can't possibly lose. Let's get rid of number of lives. Let's get rid of having to go to save points. I mean, you, you can you can tick off historic. In fact, I bet that'd be a really cool timeline to like tick off historically when various game tropes were cut for difficulty purposes. Well, here's the here's the thing. I'm actually going to I'm actually going to be devil's advocate today. Um, I don't necessarily disagree that games have gotten easier. Although things like save points are actually where actually kind of do detectable limitations. I think. Oh yeah. As opposed to like being in there to make it harder. One of the most one of the biggest frustrations in a lot of the earlier Final Fantasy games was how far apart the save points were. So you wanted to stop playing for the night, but you had to play another half an hour to get to the next save point. No, that's fair. So now you can just kind of allow games to kind of save anywhere, which of course invites save scoping, which does make the game easier potentially. 
no easy to back yourself into a corner where you can't get out of either. Yeah. I, I have a safe scumming confession that people might find entertaining. Oh, go ahead. Metroid Zero Mission. I really wanted to get a 100% finish on Metroid Zero Mission. God help me. I was playing it on an emulator, and I say scum the shit out of that, because there is one thing. So, at least I think it was Zero Mission. It actually might have been Fusion, now that I, uh, I think about it, but... There's a, it, well, it's really easy to tell. Was it the one where you turn blue and absorb things? I can't rem- uh, they, they conflate in my mind because they're the two that I only played on emulator. I can tell you this. Have you played either of them to the yeah, end? Yeah, I've played them both. Um, during the, there's a part that, you, there's a part that you can only get to during the, um, self-destruct countdown at the end. Like, there's a door that only opens during the self-destruct countdown. I'm pretty sure this is Zero Mission, because I think it's on a space pirate ship. On the other side of that door is a room where you have to uh, shine spark, where that's where you, you know, get build up the speed boost, shoot yourself horizontally into a slanted surface, uh, which causes you to go back to running again. And um, you... Well, basically, this door only opens up during the the evacuation sequence at the end. And at the bottom of it is a long horizontal room filled with super death spikes and a power-up at the end. There are a number of security lasers uh, above and below the super death spikes that, if you pass through them, will close a door on that power-up, making it impossible to get to. So the only way to get it is to drop is to is to have the the shine spark power so that you can shoot yourself horizontally jump into this pit and then fire yourself horizontally across this room full of spikes uh-huh. with at the perfect space where you won't hit any of the lasers above or below you but you only get one attempt per cuz if you miss you'll just fall on spikes and you're in the implosion countdown right so it's not like you can go back and try it over and over again and so you get one shot through playthrough of the game per boss fight. You have to you, have, you save before the boss because this is a game that did have save points. Fight the boss, beat the boss, run through, and it's actually like I, I want to say Zero Mission's uh, implosion timer is really long. Like there's a huge amount of level you have to go through, and you have to go through I want I want to say like two thirds of it before you get to this point. So yeah, so this is tedious. I save scummed the hell out of that. Yeah, it's very nice. And you know it still took me probably more than a hundred attempts. Having save scummed at the perfect moment to bring my charge in there, to in order to actually get down there and get across. So on on Metroid, another fun one to do is I I, I did actually attempt the uh, no suit run on Super Metroid, where you can actually beat Super Metroid without getting either the Varia or the gravity, gravity suits. It's really hard. Uh, I I got all the way to the part in Norfair where you have to go through all of the the lava to get to Ridley. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those... It's it's very much like what you're describing, where there's a whole bunch of places that you have to shine spark because without getting either of the suits, there's a number of energy tanks you have to skip. And then, of course, you just take, like, all the damage uh, when you're in the lava. And so you, you're on a very, very strict timer from the point that you uh, 
drop into Norfair and make your way to Rhythm. Yeah, because uh, Norfair, a lot of that is, is is in rooms that just don't you for being in them, isn't it? If I remember correctly. Though it's not meaningfully different than being in the lava. Well, the, the, the problem yeah. is both. It damages you for being in it, and in the places where in your lava, you don't have the gravity suit, which means that your jumps are slow. Oh, and you can't, can you, can you, you can't, space jump? No. Yeah, okay. Well, wait. You must uh, have I don't think you can. There, yes, you can. I've seen, I, I, I was emulating somebody else's playthrough. And there was a, there was a one part where there was a really complicated set of moves that you had to do, and I just could never master it quite right. But it, it's one of those that sounds like that, where it's just there's this very specific set of things that you have to do perfectly. Do you maybe freeze the heads that shoot fireballs at you, and then... No, no, this is in a room, this is this is in a place that's under the lava. Yeah. And so you're... Yeah, in that room where... You, I know what you're talking about, because there's a big... You, you go into Ridley's mouth. Like, there's a, a Ridley statue... And the door is inside its mouth. That room, you come in on the right-hand side, yeah. and there's a big rock that goes down in the center into a pit of lava. And you go d- all the way down into the pit of lava, and then you have to get all the way back up. I but think it is that room. The way it's designed is that you're supposed to have to have to space jump. Yeah, and I don't think that's how you can do it. I, I think there's, I, I think there was a... If I remember correctly, and it's been a while since I tried that, there, there was like some particular way you had to bounce into the room with your shine spark and then shoot up and then across and... Yeah, okay, just, I can imagine it, but I can't imagine how you would keep the shine spark all the yeah. way to the bottom of the lava falling at no gravity suit I don't, speed. And you'd have to look it up. There, there was a way to do it, but that was one that I, I tried. I made it that far. Mm-hmm. But again, so anyway, that was just that was a whole thing just to go back and play a game that I loved and try to make it harder. Did and that was definitely a way to do it. In this version, do you, for, forgive me for asking, because I've never seen this run, so I'm very curious. Uh-huh. Uh, did you use the grapple beam to kill the... Um, Oh yeah, totally. Dragon, Yeah. Okay. Like no. Well, it speed wasn't. It wasn't a speed run. It it was a. Yeah. It no was just run. purposefully avoid getting the suits. In fact, it is very much not a speed run because you have to go way out of your way a bunch of places to go get energy tanks just so that you can survive some of the other stuff you have to do. It's weird that you don't just get the suit and turn them off as soon as you get them. I think once you get either of them, you have to have one on. I don't think you can turn them both off. Oh, no, you can certainly turn them both off. I'm I'm very sure of that. Because that part of that is how you, um, a bunch of the different, uh, like, LR combos where you, like, turn on weird force fields around yourself or Mm -hmm. tuck yourself into a ball and and regenerate HP. Like, a lot of those require turning on and off certain suits. That one always, the, the turning into a ball always irritated me because as a kid when I played it, I, I saw that in the little intro and I was like, how do you do that? Yeah. That's so cool. And I, I, I just, I didn't know that you had to be at like 10 health. Yeah. Wait, what is this? So you can, you it's can use cool. a super bomb, turn into a ball and basically turn all of your bombs and missiles into life. And, oh, and so re- you know, like, like it's, it's a stupid thing. If you're well, good at the game, you, you never need it. You can go to emergency regeneration mode. Is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. that's kind of cool. But I didn't when, realize that was. The but thing. when we say ball, we don't mean like morph ball. The animation is Samus forms a cocoon around herself that she floats in as a armorless female like silhouette in fetal position upside down as your as your HP goes up. Huh. It's like a really cool animation. I didn't actually figure out how to do it until I had the internet. Yeah. I only have one comment to make about Metroid. I've never seen you play any of them on emulator, but I remember you watching you play on GameCube, and I specifically remember uh, Samus being able to read emails being written by the space pirates. Yes. The ones that said, "Truly, this is a glorious time for the space pirates." <laughs> <laughs> that, that gave rise to the meme around fun and games. These are not glorious times. 
So you, so so we talked about like like where we you you look at the, the evolution of games, right? The the original platformers, the sort of trial and error gameplay, right? You know where you're like, oh, I have to get my timing right on this, or I have to. Sometimes you can't even see the ledge you're jumping to until you like make the jump, and so then you realize, oh, that ledge is there, so I have to jump with this much power to get there. Like that kind of thing where you're always gonna die the first time you do it, right? The bullet bill that comes out of nowhere, you just have to know that that's where it's coming from, that sort of thing. Like, that is kind of a feature of that old gameplay. I'm sure that the Battletoads does a whole bunch of that. Yeah, so, I, I, and so maybe part of what you're getting at is that some all, all of those old NES games are entirely muscle memory. Yep. You could, yeah, I, there, I am sure that there are people out there that can, uh, you know, for those people who have done the speedruns of Super Mario, they can actually play Super Mario in their sleep, moving their thumbs around. I have actually heard of someone playing Super Mario with their eyes closed. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing to me. But there's different kinds of hard, right? I and mean, that's a specific kind of hard. That's the Super Meat Boy hard. That's the Battletoads hard. Right. Um, to some extent, with speed runs and ways we can make games hard requires that sort of thing, too. Because you're going to know exactly where those lasers are, right? Or you're screwed. But then there's hard, like challenging hard, right? There's hard, like, you have to have great aim hard with the mouse in certain shooter games. Um, there's hard, like... Well, there's hard, like, tactics, right? There's hard, like, all, all the tactical games that were really hard. Like, the, old, the original Battletech games. Not the MechWarrior games, but the Battletech games that were actually tactical with hexes and everything. Mm. Were really... For the PC, were really challenging. Um, and a lot of it was kind of luck-based, too. I know a game. Ah, hmm? uh, TIE Fighter. One of my favorites, the the uh, original, like, the, well, I guess there was only the one, the Windows 95 TIE Fighter game. Uh, and it, in the first place, it's hard. Uh, and it's really long. It, 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 in my opinion, is the base, best space simulator game that anyone has ever made, ever. Um, it's incredibly long. It's a lot of fun because you get to do things like be a wingman to Darth Vader, and who does not want to do that? But then on top of that, it's it's difficult in the first place, and then they have secondary mission goals and then tertiary mission goals. And there are a few of the missions where the tertiary mission goals are practically impossible. There is one of them that uh, I must have spent weeks in playtime of my youth trying to beat, where you're in a TIE bomber, and all your buddies are terrible, and you're... You are supposed to blow up, like, three different capital ships. Mm-hmm. There's a Mon Calamari cruiser, which is actually the easiest of them, because there's a really cheap thing that you can do if you're, like, super good, where you basically draw its fire, and then get, like, kind of maneuver into places where it can't hit you, and then have your buddies come in and bomb it, and since it's kind of targeting you, it won't shoot them. Um... But then eventually I would always lose my buddies, and then I would have to go on and by myself kill uh, a Corvette, uh, which requires, like, sitting right behind its engines where it can't hit you. But then the, har- the hardest thing is at the very end of the mission, one of the bonus goals is to kill a frigate. So with the frigate, you literally have to be at distance zero zero from its engine without technically ramming it because you die instantly. Uh... And then, by that point in the mission, I never had any missiles left, and so I'm literally just shooting this thing with a laser cannon as it's flying through space and turning. And I actually knew, like, it, I, I, I wish I could do this over the microphone, but I actually knew how, as it turned 5 degrees to the left, I had to turn, like, 60 degrees to the right to stay in the right place in the engine, like, uh, behind the engine. 
The only reason I never beat that darn mission is because the thing hyperspaces when it gets at low uh, health, and I only had lasers, and I couldn't possibly do enough damage before it hyperspaced. There, I think there is a way to technically do that mission, but I've never gone back and done it since... Uh, what if you just have to ration the missiles, right? You have to do everything else yeah. without them. Yeah, I think that's a problem. And I, 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 I tried that a number of times, but I never managed to be able to get through everything else without having to use my missiles up. Because the other uh, the other ships do the same thing. They, uh. They'll hyperspace away from you as soon as they get low health. And so I just I was always in a position where by the time I got to the thing, I, I, was, I was out. Do you have a way it's of knowing from- Oh, yeah, yeah, it tells you their health. It's funny because these seem to be the same sorts of thing that they now assign to achievements in games, right? There are always well, some high-end achievements where it's like, yeah, to five-star this mission or to get this achievement, you have to do this extra thing. Yeah, it was exactly that. You even got little badges on your uniform mm-hmm. uh, for completing the bonus goals. And I could do... Jeez, I, I wish I remember how many missions were in that game, but I feel it was something like 120. And they're all fairly long. I, I could do the bonus goals on all but maybe six or seven of them, um, where it was just, like, too ridiculously insane, and uh, I, I, I couldn't manage. I have a funny story to tell. This game, this was, what was it, MechWarrior 4. This game wasn't designed to be hard, but I had a situation that ended up being really hard, purely through hilarious circumstances. You have this mission, where they do have, like, secondary and tertiary objectives, but they're not bonus objectives. You have to complete them to finish the mission. And it was an escort mission, and you had to escort all your dudes through this trail while being ambushed. And I had managed to get get both of my arms blown off, so I only had one laser left. And, you know, this is a mechware game where tr- they've taken the tradition of when there's an objective, they highlight it for you, like blow up this power plant, and then this thing pops up on your radar. I finally kill off all the ambushers. Uh, all of my the guys I'm supposed to, es- supposed to escort have like run off screen. And the last objective I have on my list of objectives is blow up the bridge. And the bridge is not highlighted. It's just like a piece of terrain. It's a bridge. And I'm like, am I supposed to shoot this thing? What, what am I supposed to do? So I'm just like sitting there free shooting with the one laser I have left for like, Five whole minutes. I'm like, I'm going to be so pissed if this isn't what I'm supposed to do. Right. Because the laser is so pathetic. You have no idea whether or not it's just that it has more health or... Uh... And then eventually it blew up. Yeah. <laughs> and the mission ended. I was like, that was stupid. I, I hate I hate stuff like that where you, you... Now, of course, in this situation, it was because you had the dinky laser. But the games where... You are doing a thing, and you start to question whether you're doing it right. Oh, God. Okay, there's the best, and, and I was doing it wrong. This is the best story. When I was really little, my parents took me and my brother up to Vermont. for We had a timeshare up in Stowe, where we just had like a, like a, like a, like a condo that we'd go to. And it was we were bored with it because it was two kids up in Vermont where the only thing to do is like mini-golf on the alpine slide. And my parents liked it because it was getting away, and it was pretty... I would really appreciate it now, of course. I love Vermont. But anyway, the story is this, that like one year we went to stay at the Von Trapp family estate, you know, from uh, Sound of Music, right? They actually came and settled in Vermont when they came to America. Like, this is a real story. Although Maria Von Trapp was really kind of an ugly lady. Um, unlike, not, not what's her name from the movie. But anyway, um, it's true they have pictures there. Um, anyway, so... But there's this huge thing, and there's all these cabins and stuff like this. So we would always take our Nintendo up, because that was the thing. And there was this game that we played. It was one we would just rent games and go up there. 
and I don't remember the exact details. It was a it was a kind of a side scrolling, not so much platformer, but you know, kind of a Castlevania type game. Except you were this kid with a bat, and you were fighting all sorts of zombies, mm-hmm. or, or all sorts of undead monsters. Like it was like spooky themed and a little bit lighthearted. So there's this one, um, there's this one room where you got into, and like there's different boss fights, and each boss fight was a different type of monster. <laughs> and it was just a couple of zombies, and like it's like the title was Watch Us Dance, and. So I go in there and I start swinging my bat and every time I, I knock one of them down they just get back up again. I knock one of them down with the bat they get back up again. And they're just sitting there dancing like whatever. Like smash, 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 smash. I get sick of this. I tape the button down and I leave. Hours later I come back and my guy's still swinging the bat. This kid's still swinging the bat and the zombies are still dancing. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't even understand how to beat this. And then I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I pull the tape off. I just sit there and watch them. They dance for a few minutes and then fall apart. <laughs> just like, God, hey, it told damn. you what you needed to do. I know exactly, exactly. But like, you're so programmed to do one thing that even thinking outside the box, even when they tell you to do it, it was hard. That's and like I was little. Those, that's like one of those funny. trick worksheets they give you in school, where the first thing it says, "Don't follow the instructions. Don't answer any of the questions below." You're supposed <laughs> to read that first line. No, no, read all the instructions first, and then follow them. And the last instruction is, "Don't do any of these things." Right, <laughs> like. Pan in your paper as is. I can't remember now what leads up to it, but one of the coolest game puzzles I remember was the uh, in the first Metal Gear Solid on PlayStation. There was a boss fight where you were supposed to take the hint to unplug your controller from the first player and plug it in on the second player. Uh, yeah, because you could read your because you could read your mind when you when you when you had it in on first player. When you plugged it in on second, he started saying like. The things like I I don't understand you like what are you doing and like how are you hitting me and uh, I always thought that was kind of a clever uh, yeah, shit like you puzzle have to, to it... have to solve. So this is the trick though, and and I've, I've you know one of the things is this. So I forget what the name is. He makes games with Spiderweb software, which they make um, kind of old school isometric RPGs in the theme in the in the style of Ultima, like the old Ultima games. Um, the later Ultimate games, not the 3D ones, but the ones kind of in the middle, five, six, seven, whatever. Anyways, he um, he he basically said that like the problem with games, with making games for like a large audience, is that he said that like if they're too, if a, if a, a particular segment is too hard, there is a proportion of your players who will just rage quit. Right? Like you and I are stubborn. A little bit. We are probably more stubborn than your average player. A little bit. Well, even I've given up on games that, like, were just frustrating me. Um, you know, and, and he's like, if it, you make it too easy, almost no one will complain as long as the game is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is what you're, you were keying in on, though, right? Yeah, that, that I, 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 just that at a certain point, it, well, you know, the, one of the things that I, you'll often hear me comment is on how the, uh, our understanding of psychology and our understanding of sociology, how these technologies have improved, uh, they have expressed themselves through uh, consumer marketing in interesting and often, to me, troubling ways. So, one just just one very simple example is that, uh, t- is that cartoon shows for kids are shorter. And, you know, there's, there's like an old man on a porch shaking his fist yelling... Oh, kids' attention sp- people's attention spans are just shorter now. It's like, well, maybe their attention spans are shorter, but maybe people always wanted. Se- it was, it was a knowable scientific fact that some percentage of people will get sick of your thing before it's over, no matter what it is. 
So if you make your thing half as long, then a smaller percentage of people will get sick of it. Just that straightforward. Some percentage of people will have patience for your game being too hard. Some percentage of people will not have patience for your game being too easy. X is greater than, or X is lesser than Y, so it always behooves you to make the game easier. To an extent, I think, I mean, like, if, but it depends what the draw of the game is, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this is actually where it comes out. Because the same thing is true about long versus short games. There's games that are 100 hours to play. A lot of the Final Fantasy games, if you do all the stuff, it's 100 hours. A lot of the, you know, adventure games, exploration games, can be really long if you, if you 100% them. Let me tell you a story about Final Fantasy IX and Excalibur II. Yep. You should see the face that Blake is making now. It's pretty impressive. It has one big eye and one little eye. (laughs) And a third eye that just doesn't know what its job is right now. Um, But the... But the thing that I was going to say was that... that Keep your third eye in your pants. Most games nowadays are 10 to 20 hours long. You know? Um, And the reason is because the average game players in their 20s or 30s, maybe even 40s, um, you know, with stuff to do. So, a 100-hour game... As much as it's fun to get lost in Skyrim forever, <laughs> most people, if you, if you make a game more than about 10, 12 hours long, a lot of your players will not see the end. Now, if they buy it anyway, it doesn't matter, right? But, you know, there's no point in making a 50-hour game. Some games are leaning towards kind of like, we're not a series of challenges, we're an interactive experience. So you have games like Viva Piñata that are trying to just have you be more creative. Or Nintendogs. Or, well... Well, the Nintendo's, I would say, is more of a simulation. It's like a have a pet. It's like more of a pet simulation. I would say certain games are like, like Goat Simulator. Um, like it's also a simulation. <laughs> Hold on a second. You're absolutely right, though. The whole idea of game is experience versus game is challenge. A lot of the indie titles are really focusing in on game is experience. Like the question was, you know, when Dear Esther came out, there was a lot of consternation. People were like. Is this even a game? Or is it just sort of an interactive story? Something like Gone Home, where there are puzzles, quote-unquote, sort of, but not really. I knew Gone Home was going to come up as soon as we started talking about this. Is that the one with where you're just at, at, in a house, like, yeah. looking through drawers and yeah, stuff? Yeah, I mean, and, and there's a... there's a Sorry, people. Spoilers. It's not actually a horror game. But... Because um, it's about it's about time that... Like, 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 it's been out for a while. You should have played it. You should still play it. I knew it wasn't when I played it. But, like, it's so spooky walking around in an abandoned house. Like, like, like an empty house, right? Because you're conditioned to expect that. In the video exactly. game, you're alone in an abandoned house. There's got to be something jumping out. Exactly. And there's there's definitely stuff in the game that is, like, almost a jump scare. But, like, it's... But it's an experience. It's, it's a game that's designed entirely to be an experience. But you look at Bioware games, especially the later Bioware games. Casual mode. There is combat, but it is trivial. The game is basically there for you to have romances and experience the story, and the combat is just a thing that fills time. Versus, you could turn the difficulty all the way up in a recent Bioware game, Bioware and really have a Dragon Age Mass Effect 3, okay. Inquis- Dragon Age Inquisition Mass Effect 3, and have a really challenging shooter, a really challenging like tactical fantasy game, a la Phil Baldur's Gate. They're giving you both, yeah. I don't which know. I think is actually really interesting. Yeah, I, I really need to play the new ones. I, I loved uh, Origins, although even that I used the Slink mod to like make the game just like way stupid hard. And I'm like I really mean that even mod. Even on the hardest setting? Oh yeah, that game was chump on the okay, hardest setting. You're talking to somebody who played it on easy the first time because she happened to have a party that contained no healers. 
And so, well, what are you even doing? Why are you, why are okay, you even playing so this so kind of game? Was, it was it was it was my character, Alistair. Um, Morgan and the dog and Morgan was going to learn healing spells that's like totally not her thing the way to play that game is with like three mages and just oh, yeah, no, wreck I know. everything I know. well so, I know. so my, actually my thing with that is I I really do prefer games that um, I like I don't like having to gimp myself like no. I I want to have to use everything the game gives me mm-hmm. to make it hard. I, I I actually, as much as I've done like some of the other some of the challenge modes in games where or like the self challenge modes, I actually don't like the idea of playing a game like Dragon Age and uh, trying to see how little equipment I can wear. I want to wear all of the equipment. Like I want to make the best character I can and mm. still have it be have ridiculous. You played, have you played Transistor or Bastion? So both are largely tactical slash action games where you have to pick specific combinations of weapons and there are myriad combinations of weapons that give you myriad gameplay styles, especially in Transistor when you can sort of build combinations of stuff. But like, even in Bastion, you have a primary and secondary weapon and depending on which two you pick, because you pick any two out of your big list of weapons and however you've upgraded them, um, they behave completely differently. Like, the gameplay is entirely, the feel is entirely different. But, over the course of the game, you collect power-ups that are not power-ups. They're actually powered-downs in a way. Like, in Bastion, you get these glyphs that you can use to, like, put in the temple, and, like, it just makes all the enemies harder in some specific way. Right? And so, the more of these you put in, the more money and experience you get for fighting. The harder it is. But the harder it is. Sounds fun. Yeah, and you can make the game as hard as you like in different ways, which is also really interesting. What are you reminding me of? But even games like Bastion and, uh, what was the other one? Transistor. Transistor. Both really good games, like if you haven't played these, right. they're, they're short and they're really good. They do kind of spell things out for you, right? They're not truly like the roguelike games, right? They deliberately force you to guess what you're supposed to do. No, roguelike games are randomly generated. No, sure. they, they're, these are, these are large, these are largely designed around a narrative arc, right? And there are a lot of linear levels. Well, like, yeah. I, no, I've never played these games. I've seen them played. I agree with you. They're amazing. All I'm saying is that they do follow the trend where it's like uh, there's a narrator who tells you, oh, hey, here's an important thing. Or, hey, look at th- a line of three enemies. You can use this move to hit all of them. So a real quick throwback to the, the Dragon Age thing with, with Slinks. Uh, basically what that mod did, and that there are kind of similar mods for a lot of uh, similar style games, is basically just anywhere where there's spawn points for enemies. It just throws more enemies in, yeah. and typically throws harder enemies in. Uh, but it also does some things like up the stats and stuff. But what what really makes it hard, particularly, is with the with the boss fights. Is you get some of the boss fights with like a whole bunch of spawns around them. Like so, you know, a boss fight in that game with ads, and uh, sometimes some of the things that it will add are like things that will kill you very very fast, and so it can be. It, it actually even it actually makes it kind of interesting in terms of like when you first come into a room, you put the game on pause just so that you can assess how many oh, things are there. In any Baldur's Gate style game, though, like Dragon Age style game, I always the first thing you always do is pause. Yeah, because you have to figure out what's going on. And and uh, I mean, I, I felt like though without that mod, Dragon Age actually wasn't that way. Without that mod, like 
with Dragon Age, for the most part, you could just kind of walk into a room. Um, and, okay, and, and I just, just... I'm not very good. <laughs> well, well, no, I, I'm actually much better at Mass Effect. I'm a killer FPS player. Well, oh, you yeah. could probably... I think it would depend maybe on how you play Dragon Age. Yeah. It depends on I how know, you built your characters. Well, for me, you know, I tend to be a very sneaky, rogue-type person in all of my video games. I'll steal anything that isn't nailed down... Um, cough, well, Skyrim hoarding everything. Cough. But I know for me, you know, I'd always want to sneak around and I guess just try and make things harder for myself. Like, okay, now where are the enemies? Can I sneak up? Can I shank them? You know, what can I do to get them out with that, as little active combat as possible? Please tell me you modded your Dragon Age to nuke the uh, uh, cooldown timer on pickpocketing. That exists. I've never done that, and you might have to tell me later. There's like, because there's it's what like a ten or fifteen second cooldown, yes. and it's like unbearable. It drives me crazy because I have to steal from everyone, but it takes so long. Yeah, there's a mod that, that <laughs> does away with it. I am immorally obligated. I I, I feel you. I I understand perfectly because I'm the same. I I always like playing at least one character that way just to see, like, what kind of stuff everyone has. To be honest, my first character in most RPGs is some sort of a sneak. Sorry, go ahead. I do like the getting in too deep and picking off enemies one by one, that sort of thing. Like the sniping. Um, I'm playing playing Skyrim for the first time, and um, yeah, that's my character. Although it does help to hire a mutant shield. Yeah, um, in Skyrim, I tend to be very much the character who has a 100-level pickpocket skill <laughs> before they ever go see the Jarl in Whiterun or anything. <laughs> I say I like ridiculous. to steal things, if possible, in video games, in video games. That, like that is not hyperbole. You are part hobbit, right? You like, you, you like the thief that can steal people's clothes. Yes, I have stolen entire town's clothing before because, haha, hilarious, I'm a 12-year-old. Along those lines, what I like in Skyrim was the fact that, you know, the shopkeepers and stuff are watching you and you can't steal stuff and they're watching you. They actually gave the avatars, like, sight lines that you can block by putting a basket over their head. Because oh, the basket that. is an object that they can't see through, and suddenly they can't see you, and you can just, like, take everything with no consequence. That never worked with me, but I love just doing that in general. See, that just makes me think of, like, the Legend of Zelda game for the original Game Boy. Link's was, Awakening? Yeah, Link's Awakening, where you could steal stuff from the shop once. By basically running circles around the shopkeeper, like when you had an item, and he would he would eventually turn his back to a to the wall, and then you could just run out the door. But it was so funny because once you got outside, there, there a message would actually appear, like saying, "You stole this from the shop. Do you feel good about yourself?" And if yes. you ever if you ever went back to the shop, he straight murders you. <laughs> like you, there is nothing you can do. You just die in his shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of awesome. In terms of like the difficulty of games, like I don't feel like Dragon Age is on normal difficulty or hard difficulty level or whatever. It's much different than, say, Baldur's Gate or Icewind Dale. Like, looking at the older Bioware games, I don't feel like Mass Effect is much harder, much easier than Quake or Quake 2. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know if it was because of how I played games just growing up, because, you know, I've always been horrible at video games. Statistically speaking, I always will be, though I love them. 
But I always played them more for characters, interesting visuals, and just things like that. So for me, it's more about the story or whatnot. Patrick, that, that actually uh, um, segues nicely into a thing I wanted to talk about that I thought Patrick scraped open when he said, Yeah, but I don't want to just make the game harder for myself by choosing a suboptimal build. I want the game to be hard when I bring, when I, I come with everything I can possibly do in that game. Uh, lately I've been playing, uh, or not, not lately, but, uh, I got Final Fantasy Tactics 1.3. Remember mm-hmm. I was playing that, yeah. where it's a, it's a, it's a mod for Final Fantasy Tactics emulator, where it just makes the game harder in a variety of ways. Uh, the original Final Fantasy Tactics, when I played it, I remembered it being really, really hard the first time. Like, me and my friends played, and we had a really hard time with it, and it felt super unfair, because, like, the enemy always figure out whoever on your team has the least HP, and focus fire on them, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but then... I was really, when, when I went online and people were like, oh, Final Fantasy Tactics is way too easy. I wish this game were more difficult. I was like, I don't understand why. And the reason why is because there's a couple of, there's specific right answers in terms of, you know, squad build and tactics and things of that nature that when you do, the game becomes trivial. Right. There's a, so, so there's a question here of the design intent of the game versus, like, like I think a lot of games like Dragon Age are a really great example because they probably didn't design Dragon Age with, like, and then and then send it to Magic the Gathering development department where they had, you know, broke-ass dudes play it to the hilt, figure out the optimized builds, and then power balance around that. Right. They power balanced the game around what they thought was a more intuitive, typical, perhaps even story-based, would be an accurate adjective. Yeah, exactly. The, the casual player should be able to play through the game just making decisions not based on tactical strength, but on like what they found interesting. And a worst-case scenario, like like I did the first time through the game. The second time I played through the game, I played mostly on, on normal difficulty level. But the, second, the first time through the game, I was like, well, I guess I'm playing this on easy. Okay, whatever. They're not going to penalize me for so, it. So, I guess an opposite thing. Sorry, did I interrupt? No, it's okay. fine. Um, would be Octodad, which I've never played through. You have to talk at the mic. Oh. If you turn and talk at me, it won't hear you. Okay. Would I guess an interesting um, opposite example would be maybe Octodad, which I haven't played through myself because I like my sanity or what's left of it, but well, it hilarious. seems definitely to be a game that is what? I said why, it's hilarious. Well, I like watching the... I like watching other people lose their sanity that I need to keep what I have. <laughs> but it seems to be one of those games specifically made just to be hard, you know, just to be nigh impossible to be able to do even the simplest movements or whatnot. Kind of like Quop or... Yeah, it really does feel like Quop has a little bit of Octo- yeah. an Octodad com- uh, component to it. See, I don't know if games like Octodad are meant to be hard. They're just meant to be... Like weird, they're meant to be annoying. They're like, what if you had to talk with a mouthful of peanut butter? What was that? What was that surgeon game where you have to like bash the people, the guy's head open with a fire extinguisher? <laughs> the, you're talking about what was it, like Surgeon Simulator? Yeah, it's only funny because you're actually just controlling this one guy's hand, and you have a key map to each finger, and you have to hit the keys right to grasp. But even then, the, the grasping detection is completely. Like yeah. wonky, and so you're trying to grasp these tools, and you're not—you're not even practicing actual surgery because you have to break the guy's sternum and like take all the pieces out, and yeah. then 
like just tear head. out the organs and throw them, <laughs> and then put the right organ in into like what's left of the cavity, and then it's like, oh my God. but do it in a way such that the the patient isn't losing too much blood, and it's hilarious the kind of things. But because people give up because like, they'll lose their scalpel, so then they'll grab a fire extinguisher and they're dragging it across the sternum to break it. <laughs> The best part was when that one guy, PewDiePie, was playing, he grabbed the laser. And <laughs> the laser is kind of, basically, it's like, they, they made it like it, it like a soldering iron, but the, the cord is attached, I guess, to the ceiling. So he grasps the laser, and he's like, going around trying to laser the bones off, and then he accidentally let go. And with that momentum, the laser was just like, swinging around, <laughs> like, wildly hitting him. And he was like, off with the laser! As he was trying to hit the off button with his, like, horribly, like, hard to control, like, with the controls. Anyway, go make... In terms of balance. You're talking about game balance. It, this is what I was talking about earlier when I said there's a difference between a hard game from the 80s or the 90s, back when games were just hard or easy on, like, a... In a, in a, in a what I might call an organic way, yeah. where, you know, they just made the game, and they made the game as hard as they wanted to make the game, and that was and that was it. Versus modern games where hardness is something that the the writers are looking in to themselves to decide: Are we making a hard game? Or are we making an easy game? How are people going to feel about the hardness of this part? For Mario, it was like, let's make the jumps in level eight hard to do, and you know, probably about eight times as hard to do as the jumps in level one or something to that effect. Um, but the, the, that's the difference: is one of intended play style. Because they hadn't yet discovered the technology of some people want to play the game differently than others do. Well, it's also in really interesting too to see like there's there's games that give you a large degree of variability in terms of your build, right? So Dark Souls is a game that actually has a lot of flexibility with build. You've been talking about Vagrant Story, which has a lot right. of flexibility in terms of build. Dragon Age has a lot of flexibility in terms of build. Your character can be different. The people you travel with can be different. Your equipment can be different. Your skill trees can be different. Diablo is another one that's like that, too. Mm-hmm. Diablo is one, versus all of the rest of those, Diablo 2 is probably the, the in, in my opinion, of the games that I played, the one game where you can create a character who's good, 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 unusable. Oh, no, Diablo 1. <laughs> I did this in Diablo 1. Did, uh, did I ever tell you the story about the, the awesome fucking fire mage that I built in Diablo 1? She was a fucking badass. She, 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 she chewed through level one. She chewed through level two. She chewed through level three. Then she got to hell. And Diablo one, you couldn't respect. And Diablo one, all the monsters in hell were immune to fire. And so she's there with no other spells, but like a level one frost and a level one lightning. In Diablo one, you could learn any spell. If you, but you had to put points into the tech tree. No, that's Diablo two. Diablo 1, uh, you you can just learn spells. You, am I thinking of the wrong thing? Yeah, I, probably. Uh, Diablo 2 is definitely, like, if you went full-blown fire mage, you are going to get wrecked in I mean, hell. That's what it was. But I was so incredibly frustrated because, like, why do you give me the option to spec this way? Right. Yeah, that's Diablo 2. Yeah, I mean, the idea is that, like... But this is this is actually how they get around it, though. They create multiple difficulty level, levels. So if if you're a player of Dragon Age who wants to play a very narrative game like Laura, you or I would, probably, and you build a really suboptimal party where you have a dog and no healer. <laughs> um, 
Alistair. Alistair's in all of my parties for some strange reason. Uh, see, once again, like, you just need to mod that game. Dog slot. There's a mod that just is, bring the dog with you, it doesn't matter who else is in your party. <laughs> Which you actually, like, I really wish they had just designed the game that way. With that would have, Dragon Age 1 would have made way more sense if you could just always have your freaking dog. Yeah. Because that would have been awesome. It, it really would have been a much better uh, yeah. way to do it, to I would not actually have like to take to a party slot. With that. Yeah, because it just totally takes a party slot. Like, well, I bring my dog, you can't come along. <laughs> Were either of you all there for the Dragon Age tabletop game that got run at Fun and Games? It was like a one-shot a little while ago. I, I, say, I was. Did Adam run it? Yeah. yeah. L played the, what's it start with a K? The, uh, ka- Mabari. Mabari. Mabari, yeah. Pl- yeah actually it, played the Mabari yeah. Warhound. Like, she barked at the other at the other players at the table and, like, had to do, like, Lassie-style indications of what she knew I or wanted. Bet, I bet in the board game it's better balanced than it was in the game, because that dog was not all that good. Oh, she, yeah. I, I don't know how it was power-wise, but she had a blast. Sure yeah. she's... I was in the front of the store just listening to it happen, and I don't think I've ever heard a player <laughs> that happy to could... just be playing that character without talking. And you couldn't give the dog, like, cool stuff. Like, you could give him different war paint and a different color, and that was, like, it. You could... You could totally get the dog a bone. Hiss. I'm glad I'm not lactose intolerant, or I would have died of the cheesiness of that statement. It was necessary; needed to be said. I'm taking you to joke jail. But what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing, there's like, like because you could turn this the the the, the difficulty down to easy and still play through the game with the worst possible combination of characters. Right. And so I, I was going to say, on you were comparing that to Diablo two, um. I feel like with Dragon Age, it did not matter how suboptimal your party was. Uh, if you if you understood the game and like kind of how to do the tactics, uh, you could you could beat that game. Yeah. Uh, even on hard mode, with like no, even no, no. With, I, I, with, you'd have to show me because I <laughs> with a really bad party. Whereas again, with with Diablo two, you really just had to know what the heck you were doing, yeah. and you had to know from level one what you were going to be putting your skill points into because. By, by again, by the time you went, cold. you got always cold. They're called Blizzard for a reason. No, well, but see, even then, you can't just stack that because in Diablo two, at when you get to hell, things will be straight immune to something, and so if you only stack one element, you're going to die. Okay. Um, you you needed both. And, and if you're soloing, if you're playing it with a group, then fine. You can you can kind of do whatever. Well, you the want. other thing that was really interest that was really infuriating about that game was that if you played it, no matter what build you had, if you played it solo, there was really kind of no way to get through Nightmare or past the first few levels of Hell. Like you really needed a group to play that game. In my experience. Mm, yes and no. I mean, it it was again if you wanted to play it solo, you just like you really probably just needed an internet build. Like, you needed people who had kind of paved the way and learned all the terrible things. Either that or just play it with uh, uh, one of the trainers so that you could re- rebalance your skill points once you realized that whatever it was you had done, because you haven't played the game like a 100,000 times, uh, isn't going to work. And a lot of it is like learning how to kite all the crowds so you're fighting smaller crowds from the larger ones or whatever. Well, and I mean, some of it is really just like you can't in that in that particular game. You don't really know what's going to be good until you get there. There there are skills that are awesome in normal mode, may even still be awesome in nightmare, and then you get to hell, and they they're pathetic. 
it's trial and error based gameplay. It's the same yes. thing. It's the same thing of not knowing where that platform is. Right. Which, but the the difference is in Mario. If you fall off because you don't know where the platform is, you go back to the beginning of the level. Right. In Diablo three, you <laughs> or two, you go back to the beginning of the game and yeah. play from. Yeah. Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. You really like. I mean, it is a game where I, I I do find perfect excuse for using a trainer to. Oh, totally. You know, let yourself go ahead and. Rebalance those skill points. What you did didn't work, and you don't really feel like bringing. I think that that kind of hard is just bad game design, right? That 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 making players guess thirty hours in advance of the choice that they're going to have to make. You know, like that doesn't seem good. I was going to say anything that gives you a bunch of choice. Like we were talking earlier about games that have depth of strategy choice, where you can go in a bunch of different directions. Any kind of party-based game, you know, any kind of tech tree-based game, when you got a lot of personal customizability. If a substantial fraction of those answers are emphatically wrong, <laughs> that's bad design. Or a, or a handful of them are emphatically right to the point where there's no point in picking anything else. Well, you see, at that point you're then damning Final Fantasy Tactics, which I'm not sure I'm ready to I'm ready to yeah, get off so that I, hill. I, I think that there's a difference there. there you're, you're talking about if a handful of them are totally right, but that all of the rest of them are, of them are I can beat the game, and yeah. the right ones. I guess that's not so bad. Are the right ones are I can walk through the game. Yeah. Versus again, Diablo Two is my perfect example for this. The right answer is the game is possible at all, and all wrong answers are you just gonna die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's. I think I think that goes back to a place of saying too, though. It's like it's easier to it's better to err on the side of too easy than too hard. So giving a few options that are just wins, it doesn't hurt the gameplay experience for people. As much as giving one or two options that are just fails, right? Right. So, but here, here then is here comes the fascinating point. Uh, in terms of things that I have known people to to spend a lot of time on, Diablo two. Yeah. I have known a lot of people to spend just who well, have spent. It's a crack-filled Skinner box. The Smith is literal. You may know this because you would have been old enough to have memory of this time when I wasn't. Was there a period, maybe in the in the early '90s, when PC games? It was. I want to say it was right around the time MIDI audio started happening, when that technology was just starting to find its way into games. Um, be before the '90s. Well, okay, I don't remember how long ago it was. The point is, it was old. Tandy three channel sound, baby. <laughs> okay, uh, middle school. The generation I'm talking about is the do du- the, the the Dune PC game, the first Dune PC that. game. Joanna played it. I haven't. Um, that it was an RTS, right? Yeah, you know, I guess it was RTS for certain parts, okay. but it had this bit. But it also was all was kind of a sort of a point and click adventure for some parts because you like you'd go to a place and then you'd be in a in a like you'd click on a door and move and then go through that door to another room and there was like clicking on right on the correct objects in the room. There were people you could click on and then you had like conversation trees. Um, the first time we played it, we lost horribly and like I, I played it with my dad and we lost horribly and in a, in a way that we thought you know we really lost this game a long time ago we just didn't yeah. know it that was a feature of a lot of the old adventure games um, whether they were the graphical adventure games or the text adventure games there's a lot of them where if you didn't do something really early in the game there's a whole there's a number of points along the game if you didn't do exactly the right thing you would have already lost but wouldn't know it and you would just die later yeah, and that sounds stupid. That happened in a number, one or two of the King's Quest games, which I didn't play, but I've heard about. But it, it certainly happened in games like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Text Adventure, which is one of the hardest games ever made. And then the, I think, probably superlative example of the mm-hmm. 
the you you've lost the game but you don't know it. Darkseed. You ever heard of Darkseed? So Darkseed has ba- ha- has one advertises one thing about itself that it's from the mo- it, it, that it is fully illustrated by H.R. Geiger. Nice. Um, and I approve. And it carry the the storyline is Geiger esque, if you will. Like it, they they managed to it's a point and click adventure, and they managed to craft a storyline that. Feels the that makes you feel the way Geiger art makes you feel, where it's like beautiful and disgusting and like really uncanny valley, disturbing at the same time. It was like really, really good. They did a really good job of that. But from the word go at the beginning of the game, there is a real time clock, time translated. I forget exactly how long the gameplay of the game goes before the end. I know that you got three days to solve three in game days to solve the problem. And if you don't take aspirin every night, an a, 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 basically a chest-bursting alien busts out of your forehead, and you die. There's a similar game, but I'll let you finish. And anyway, we always lost, because at a certain point in the game, I want to say on the third day, a police officer would show up and arrest us, and we would go to jail and couldn't get aspirin. And my dad and I were never able to figure out why they were arresting you. They don't tell you what they're arresting you for. So we kept having to restart the game, kept getting busted by the police officer. But the only thing that we came up with was that there's a glove box in your car. In that blue glove box are gloves. Contrary to what Death Cab for Cutie tells you, it is sometimes aptly named. And when you try to use the gloves with something, he always says, I, I, I don't care if I get my fingerprints on that. So we were like, okay, clearly we put our fingerprints on something that later was involved in a crime, and that's why we're going to jail. <laughs> because they somehow psychically so you, know your fingerprints. So you had, no, here's the thing, that you had to know the one thing in the game that you needed to do while wearing the gloves. End of list. And, but they never give you a clue. No, there's no clue. Because they don't out. tell you why you're under arrest. So one of the things that... So this is actually one of the reasons that I really always hated the old... Um, Graphical adventure games because like you had to know what pixel to click on, you had to know what seven items to combine that made no sense, and you had to know at a specific the text adventures are the same way. You had to know at a specific time the specific thing that you needed to use to do the thing. And see, so I'm playing a game called The Longest Journey, which is from 1999. It is a graphical adventure game that pretends to be as hard as the King's Quest games and whatnot, but isn't. Hmm. Um, because a lot of the pointing and clicking, there's a few of these those those puzzles. that's like, I would not have known to get that, but at the same time, like I probably would have figured this out given time. Like, like it doesn't ever box you in. It lets you kind of figure the puzzles out. Like, so there's a few that are obscure and don't make a ton of sense, but you can figure them out if you need to. But a lot of the point and clicking is within dialogue trees, which is awesome because it's like, oh, you had to talk to this person, and you had to go talk to them again. Right, but all the characters are really interesting and well written, so you want to talk to them. So like, you actually get like character interaction as you're like instead of like interacting with static scenes where you have to like find the pixel, you have to find the dialogue option that like gets you the piece of information that lets you go talk to someone else and unlock some other dialogue option. It is just a really, really, really good game, especially for 1999. Can you clarify something for me? Sure. I'm curious. I don't know if this is more your. Uh dislike for the genre or a particular like, particular facet of the genre 
Because when I was growing up, I played a lot of the games like Monkey Island and Salmon Max. Monkey Island is supposed to be really good. Oh my goodness, it's fantastic. Go play it now. But I think, not I think that now. that's a graphical adventure, though. It is a graphical adventure, yeah. right? But those both came from LucasArts, and I mm-hmm. always remember hearing growing up that, you know, they were the kind of game company, you know, that, oh, they wouldn't just make it impossible to solve. You could not get into a situation where you'd die or you'd be utterly screwed. Except for in Monkey Island 1 where you can, in fact, die at one point. But you have to be really intentional about it. <laughs> but, so, is it more that or... Well, just... not having played Monkey Island, I think it's... it's Honestly, the, the compelling thing is it's actually sort of an interactive novel with story with, with graphical adventure elements. Mm-hmm. More so than it's... It follows that form, but it's 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 a it's a little bit of a hybrid because there's so much dialogue because there's so many characters. Yeah. Um, Monkey Island, you definitely have to sometimes combine chewing gum with. Oh yeah. Hair clippings. Yeah, so so by the way, people, um, the breadcrumbs um, sprinkled on the rubber ducky, and then you go fetch it and use that with the rope, the clothesline, and the clamp to fish out the key from the subway. This is the only puzzle that's actually hard. The bread is in the cafe. Spoilers. You'll enjoy this game, I promise you. Monkey Island Effort is also really amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of these games were really good. But they chose to make a game that was more engaging than hard, if that makes a difference. Because I I think the hard of you combining five things that make no darn sense is not interesting. I actually did find it interesting, but that's probably just a personal difference. What kept me playing for most of it, honestly, wasn't even that, although I found it amusing. But it was more just the humor in the game. I remember that being a very um, influential longest, game type for me growing up. The Longest Journey, you could definitely tell it's written in 1999. It is this wonderful mix of like horrible late 90s stereotypes with... like. Um, really sort of inclusive casting um, and diverse, you know, characters. With the exception and trigger warning of there's one throwaway trans joke in there that is unpleasant. But, um, you know, it was 1999. I have to rely... I think reminding myself that, that, you know, before about 2010, you know, casual trans misogyny or casual transphobia was just a thing that you could do and no one would care. And even even since then, look at you, box trolls. That's that's a little more nuanced than what I'm talking about. Oh, it is. Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so still pretty good game. I mean, despite that remarkably. So, hardest game that you actually enjoyed? Let's let's do let's do a lightning round. Dude, Battletoads is awesome. It's <laughs> just impossible. James, Ooh. I'll come back to you. I have to think about this for a little bit. It's the lightning round, dude. You already lost. (laughs) The only thing I can think of is this really old computer game. The one where you play as a skier in the abominable snowman inevitably comes out and eats you. Ski free! Yeah, that is the only game in my mind. (laughs) Ski free. Don't you always die in that game? Isn't that the point? Yeah. I mean, don't you play so you can die? I have a shadow of a memory. I know what game I'm talking about. Um, Describe it. No, no, no. Actually, I remembered what I was thinking of, and that's not a good example, because it's only a hard part. It's not actually a hard game. What is it? Twilight Princess. The, uh, the like, optional dungeon in Twilight Princess, where 
you go through a series of rooms going down in a, in a spiral, and in each room you fight different bad guys, and some of them are very puzzle-like, where, like, you go into the room and immediately get clobbered if you don't, you know, know what you're doing. Uh, but the bottom room, you do it once, and the bottom room is you have to fight two Dark Nuts, which are a monster in the game that is basically a boss. Um, and it's not an easy boss. The... Once you've beaten it once, you can go back and do it on hard mode, where there are three Dark Nuts. Or it might be three the first time and four the second time, I can't remember 100%. But the first time I did that, it was like this epic struggle that made me feel like I had just crawled 99 yards with the football. Right? The second time, I just had a blast with it. And it was still really difficult, but I it was, it was probably the most fun I've had doing a thing with that was Death Star Trench Run difficult. See, that's how it is for me playing a lot of video games, so I haven't really noticed as much, you know, that video games have gotten harder or easier. I've been playing, what, what, which Metroid game you play? I gave you Metroid Prime to try, yeah. and then I gave you Super Metroid to try. I, pr- I theorized that Metroid Prime would be easier. Yeah. To be honest, but, yeah. you know, I ended up dying in the intro of one of those games... You know, the part where you really in, shouldn't die. In, in Super Metroid, you know, you start on a space station and then it blows up. She she couldn't make it off the space station before it exploded. <laughs> well, some people just have poor perception. I don't think most of people are good at computer games either. Yeah, I do have very poor perception. Smack! Which is a caress. Honestly, I think a lot of those old Nintendo games, especially the platformers, were probably the hardest games I've played. Kid Icarus was a really challenging game Ooh. if you wanted to get all the power-ups... Because you had to, you had to 100, basically 100% every single bonus room in that game to get to get the power-ups that you basically needed to make it through most of the last level. And you could still do it without, but it was way more fun if you didn't. But even the first Metroid, the first Metroid was ridiculous. I, I don't feel like without it was hard a cheat in a good guide or anything. Like, no, it wasn't, I, it wasn't hard in a good way, though. But I loved it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of it was hard just because it, the, the levels... They, they, they were there to confuse you. The repetitive, yeah, level, yeah, the it, repetitive it, graphic level design. Right. It, it just, uh, too much of it looked the same. Oh man, I gotta get Air Fortress story. When I was a kid, my parents got me Air Fortress. Oh, yeah, that one. And I played the first level of Air Fortress, and it was like hard for me, so like I went through a lot of effort before I finally made it into the Air Fortress. And then I went through the Air Fortress and kept dying, and I finally got to the boss of the, the, the first fortress in Air Fortress now. I blew up the core... And then I went, I tried to go back. I, I knew I had to leave after I blew the core, so I tried to go back out the front door. Well, in the first fortress, the exit is right behind the core, but it turns out you can't leave through the front door. There's a special emergency exit that you have to use. And as I tried, to, as I went through the whole fortress, you know, like, the lights go out and it plays this creepy music and then this fortress starts to shake and it shakes more and more violently gradually as it goes and I got to the front door and I couldn't figure out how to get through it. I couldn't figure out how to get back out the door and then I got blown up and I cried and cried and oh I wouldn't gosh. pick that game up again for ten years. Can I say something that, 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 that reminds me of the first time I played Star Control without a hint guide? I've told this story before. But you, you know, Star Control 2 is one of those games where like you're on a clock and they don't tell you. Uh, and it's, Star Control 2 is one of those games sense. where the thing that you're supposed to do makes no sense. It's true. It's, it, it is it is a, a, a terrible graphical adventure in the spirit of the old ones. 
made tolerable, in fact, made wonderful only by the menagerie of beautiful, wonderful aliens. The ores are my favorite. They're from elsewhere. Um, they're from below. Mm. They're, they're fingers. <laughs> you see time, you see bubbles, but we are, we are only one horse. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, those, yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah. The, the ores are freaking awesome. And like, the thing is, if you, if you bumble around space collecting resources and trying to figure out what the hell you're supposed to be doing and not following the main plot, which is impossible to follow without a cut anyway, um, what ends up happening eventually is that the, the, the two evil races, the two evil overlord races, settle their dispute. The, genocidal ones win and they start just rolling around the galaxy murdering entire races of your friends like they're gone forever forget ever having a if you if you weren't if you didn't have a ship of their their people with you that species is extinct good luck and there's still a way to win the game at that point but I was so overcome with grief like I was just panicking and of course that that which is just as hard actually yeah um because you have to know what it was that you were supposed to get and know where it was and find it in time. And one by one, you watch them destroy all of... You watch them murder all of your friends and there's nothing you can do about it because you can't fight them. And it, is the, it was the most upsetting thing I've ever experienced in a game. Mm. Ever. Then I got the hint guy and beat the game and <laughs> felt much better about it. In terms of most fun playing a game that is legitimately difficult, like the whole game is just difficult, yeah. uh... Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars for the NES. Nice. It, it, the last couple levels, especially the boss fight, are just bullet hell. And uh, I couldn't oh, beat it. I forgot I about could... bullet hell. Gradius. Yeah, Gradius is... <sighs> yeah. I didn't actually find Gradius that fun, though. I love the level design Ooh. in Gradius so much. Legend of the like, Mystical Ninja. The Gradius one, Gradius. Alright. They had mowing heads. They were really cool. Look... <laughs> It was little. Chowaniki! I did finally beat that game. That game was freaking hard. That is true. It's NES. Yeah, it's Nintendo hard. Yeah, like there's... There's there's definitely a lot of that from there. Uh, But I... So, you know, again, kind of what fascinates me is, uh, you know, in, in terms of... I've always debated with some things, like whether or not when you go back and play them now that I'm a lot older, like... Uh, you know, what my skill level was at the time versus what I can do now. And um, uh, I, I'm probably in some ways worse. I, I was probably way better as an eight-year-old than I am now, but, uh, for some games at least. Um, but I, So I've had a few that have varied. I, I need to play TIE Fighter again all the way through. Uh, I've played uh, Privateer, which was a game that I played. Oh, that's so good. It is so good. It, it is a really great game. But my problem was when I was, when I originally played it, I was so young that when I got to the part with the alien craft, I didn't realize you couldn't kill it. Mm. And I, and so I like I literally I finally got to the point where and this is again the me that played a game like one level of Tie Fighter for weeks, um, like trying to like get this final thing done. I I couldn't beat this thing, and so I finally gave up on the game. And it wasn't until I went back and played it again a few years ago when I was like. I figured out why I couldn't beat this. You can't beat it. <laughs> You're just supposed to run away. What the heck? Well, learning, learning that. So, so this is this is actually goes back to what I was saying before. Is that this guy who designs these games? He would put Easter egg areas, you know, with with bosses that were way too hard to fight. But it was like, oh, you can come back here later and fight this dude once you're strong enough. 
players don't understand that. Players assume that if you put a challenge in a game, that they can beat it. Right. And they and get especially really eight-year-olds. Adults. Yes, adult <laughs> fans that, like, they run into the first of these optional bosses that were clearly in an area marked optional. The sign that says optional. The sign that says come back later. You're going to get your ass kicked. Well, and they would go in there and they would get their ass kicked in rage quick because they couldn't beat this thing. Well, but see, the, the thing with it in private... The thing with it in Privateer, though, is that that was the storyline mission. That was not the optional No, mission. that's true. That was what you were supposed to be doing. Also, I don't know that that is absolutely the case. I don't feel like a lot of people were confused about Emerald Weapon in Final Fantasy VII. Well, no, you had to go way out of your way to fight that thing. Okay, I guess that's true. Where what, Ruby well, was that was Emma was the bottom of the ocean. The, yes, there's a giant, scary, freaking monster roaming around the ocean, and you just did not want to be close to that thing. Like they let you know that that was a bad idea to engage that. Yeah, thing. you had to go in, and I think a submarine to get to it. It's, well, there's a there's a segment where you're in the submarine, and you will see it. But I think they should warn you that like there's a freaking guardian of the planet here. Don't screw with it, right? Well, it's just a... No, they don't warn you, but yeah. it's just a big thing, and you're like, oh, I wonder what that is. Float up to it, and then it vapes the whole party in one shot, and you're like, ah, I'll try that later. <laughs> yeah. You're right, though. If you put it in the plot, there are players that will never retreat from a, from a thing that is clearly a plot element. Eight-year-old me. Yeah. Did not understand. Went back and played it again a few years ago. Like, I actually did, seriously, try and fight the thing again a couple of times. And... I'll, but, but you know, 30-year-old or, uh, you know, 20-something, late 20-something-year-old me was wise enough to, like, watch its health and go, wait a second. <laughs> I can't actually hurt that thing. <laughs> I was like, I'm doing the math on this. I don't think I can get through its shields, ever. <laughs> Did you find the game you were looking for yet, James? Um, well, I will want to talk about this one. Masters of Orion was an old game. It was an RTS. It they they remade it since then called like Galactic Civilization, same premise or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it was basically a space RTS. It was like civilizations in space, except they kind of streamlined the resource management a little bit since, since you were dealing with planets rather than cities. And your goal was to, it was great because it had the overworld map, or the galaxy map, versus encounter maps, which were on a grid. And you had ships that would fit on the grid, like a large ship would take up more grids, and it had movement speed, and you would have to maneuver your ships and actually like turn them so that certain weapons could target certain enemies and stuff like that. So I didn't play Masters of Orion, but I played Gal- Galactic Civilizations. It's turn-based, though, right? It is turn-based. Not, not RTS. Yes. And, then, and and Galactic Civ is basically a in in every way a clone of the concept of Massive Orion. Except right. in Galac- uh, Galactic Civ, you can design your own ships. You can't do that, Massive Orion, because it was eight bit. Um, they had I always had a hard time beating that game. Plus, because I was young and I wasn't good at like resource management type games anyway. I do remember knowing for a fact that you 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 could pick different alien races. I tried playing as the silicon-based race, the rock people, because they don't get penalties in terms of food, because they don't have to eat. But the trade-off is everyone hates your guts. Every other civilization is actively trying to fuck you. But um, at one point I was playing, I was never able to reproduce this. It was magical. They have, sometimes in the galaxy, random encounters appear, and they're supposed to be really hard. Like, a space monster appears, and if you you kill it, you get a, a bonus. They had a... Rare, like, one of the playthroughs, they had a rare alien spaceship show up. 
And this was like Dark Souls. I was like ramming my face against this problem because I wanted to see what would happen if when you got that spaceship. And so what ended up happening is I equipped like 30 of my dinky ships with tractor beams and the convert or the trying to con- like a, a boarding thing where you're where, you're, where you have a chance of converting an enemy ship to your ship. Mm-hmm. So I just had my dinky ship swarm the alien ship, encircle it grid-wise, because it's a two-dimensional grid. It can't move past your ships right. unless it blows one up. But I had it all locked down with 30 tractor beams. So I basically had my 30 ships plinking at it as sh- ships were blown, being blown away as a blade of wounds. And I finally got that ship. And it was magical, because the ship was ridiculous. Like, I had it in my fleet, and it could just, like, teleport to different parts of the grid, like its weapons were like bananas and everything. So, I don't know, I I didn't do Masters of Orion, but I played both of the Galactic Civilizations games, and the second Galactic Civilizations really messed me up for a while, because I kept trying to build these, like, really nicely balanced planets that had, like, some agriculture and some uh, commerce and... You know, no, you have to be that awful. is not how you freaking play you that have to be game. An awful tyrant, yeah. You will lose. You will lose every time. The way to play that game is money planet, mining planet, farming planet. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> like, just like Star Wars. You yeah. play that game like freaking Star Wars. We're just gonna this planet doesn't have a desert. It is a desert planet. <laughs> We're just gonna strip mine the, the crust of your planet right off. We're yeah. sorry. You know, for any inconvenience, just make yeah. us you. Yeah. This planet. This planet has all of our money, all of the banks for our entire civilization around this Banking one planet, planet. Because this one planet has the most tiles, and so that's where the banks gonna get the banking guild on your list. Yeah. It. Yes. It is. It, it is exactly. It is even more that than Star Wars is. It, it is the the only real way to play that game is uh, is to just freaking put all of any one type of thing you're going to build in the same place. Which is realistic because you know all the banks on Earth are in Switzerland. Yep, all of them. Every last one. That's what makes America so powerful. We're like a three biome country. What? No, that's, see, that, that sucks actually, in that game. That is actually what makes America really powerful. Hmm. Russia, four by own country. Banking, tech, fuel, and food. Right. Right, and the fact that we're only touching two allies and are separated from all of our enemies. Now, that's, why we win, that's why we win in Risk. <laughs> <laughs> actually, my favorite strategy in Risk is that there is a way to own Asia and a little bit of Europe and only have... Four boundaries, which ends up being pretty good. Because North America has three in risk. Mm-hmm. Not realistically, but in risk it has three. Well, anyway, that was actually a really interesting discussion. I'm glad we had it. I'm going to put this online. Does anyone have an objection? I don't care. Sounds good to me. This has been an episode of my podcast, Magic Missile. Woo! This podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com. I Podcast Magic Missile, attacking the darkness since 2012.